hearers but doers. And let us be faithful to you. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open with me to 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3. And let me just ask this question to begin with. How many Civil War buffs do we have in the audience today? Anybody? Civil? Okay, we have a, a few, a couple of history nerds, as we might want to call them. I can just go ahead and be honest. I am not one of them, but all the information I'm about to share, I have um, run by RJ, my 10-year-old nephew, and he has uh, agreed that all of this is true, so we're going to go with it because he is definitely one of those but when we think about the Civil War, one of the Civil War's most intriguing figures has always been General-in-Chief George McClellan. On paper, President Lincoln couldn't have hoped for um, a more strategic mind. He was the, the youngest member ever to be accepted to the U.S. Military Academy at the age of 15. He finished or graduated second in his class, which might not sound like a big deal, but they said the only hit against him was his artistic skills. So that's what made him be second. Um, they called him the young Napoleon because he possessed such a strategic mind. His greatest gift was that he was an excellent recruiter. By the time he took over the Army of the Potomac in 1861, within four months, he increased the size of the Army by 300% at a time when the war was not going well for the Union. So no one was surprised when President Lincoln made McClellan general-in-chief. Now he had a powerhouse army outnumbering his enemies, some two to, to one, but there was just one problem. McClellan would not fight. For weeks, General McClellan readied his position, organized, strategized. Lee's army laid dangerously exposed just a few miles away. President Lincoln repeatedly urged McClellan to put his numerical and tactical advantage to use and to crush the rebellion with one swift attack. McClellan understood the strategy, he knew the odds, but he just wouldn't fight. And just think with me, if, if a military man is unwilling to fight, then what good are all his other talents? So after an excruciating year of inactivity, Lincoln removed the greatest military mind of his generation and eventually replaced him with a man with probably half of his tactical talent, but a man who would have picked a fight with a beehive while covered in honey. Um, that would be Ulysses S. Grant, so um, a man who would fight. And let me just say this, the greatest asset of a military man is his ability to fight. Without that, all other assets, all other talents are ultimately useless. You can be as smart as you want to be in, in strategy altogether, but if you won't fight, you lose. So the, the point is, I share this because we have been in the process as a faith family of unpacking our newly revised mission statement where we are saying that the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way exists to glorify God by making disciples who will serve the world. And if the only thing that we do is to talk about our mission, is the only, if the only thing that we do is to write it down, if the only thing that we do is just come up with great strategies of how we're going to do this, yet we never fulfill the mission, then this time, the last five weeks that we have spent becomes useless. In fact, we fail and God is not glorified. So we don't want that by any means. 
Yet, as we talked about and have been talking about, there is a plan that God has promised to bless. And there is a way that we could walk in his blessings. And that way is called grace. We, we talked about it last week. The only way we're able to serve God is because of grace. And we're going to see it again this morning. In fact, one pastor put it this way. After the name Jesus, or after the word Jesus, there is no sweeter word in all the Bible than the word grace. Just think about that. After the name of the word Jesus, there is no other sweeter word in all the scripture than grace. Yet what is grace? And some of us would use the acrostic for grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. But let me just, I want us to dive in this morning just understand not just grace in its simplicity, but grace in its depth. And the greatest definition I found this week comes from Pastor John Piper who says this, grace is the wealth of God's kindness, the riches of his mercy, the soothing ointment of his forgiveness, the free and undeserved but lavishly offered hope of eternal life. Grace is what we crave when we are guilt-laden. Grace is what we must have when we come to die. Grace is our only ray of hope when the future darkens over with storm clouds of fear. That, my friends, is grace. And all of that is ours. Therefore, why would we not want to grow in that? Amen? Why would we not want to grow in that? Why would we want to stop well short of that? If we truly understand grace, then we, we wouldn't want to stop short of that, and we won't stop short of that. We won't just talk about it. We'll, we'll grow in it. So this morning, we're going to look at this picture of, of our mission statement and, and our growth in the grace of God. Understanding that is how we're going to accomplish all the things that God has placed before us. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, Peter writes these words. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. and Lord, the mission is clear before us. Lord, we don't want to just talk about it. We don't want to just write it on our bulletins, Father. We don't want to just memorize it. We want to do it. We want to see, God, you glorified in and through this, your church. We want to see disciples made who will make disciples who will make disciples. And we want to, to serve the world right where we are all the way to the ends of the earth. And, God, we know that you have given us your grace in order to do that. So just help us, God, to serve you by your grace. Help us, God, to grow and the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, lead us today into your word. Lead us into truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. It was a dark and stormy night. Because that's how stories are supposed to begin, right? So it was a dark and stormy night many years ago, and Simon Peter was talking to the person that he loved most in this world. And that person looked at him and said, you know I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be crucified. 
And Peter, in the moment that I will need you most in my life, you will betray me. And Peter answered, never, Lord. And that person, in case you're not figuring out who it is, his name is Jesus, um, then says, Simon, Simon, you still don't get it. You don't understand the deceptive nature of your own heart, for you will deny me and you will fall. And then he says in Luke 22, Behold, Satan demanded to have you, to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And the beautiful thing is when Peter comes to the end of his second epistle or second letter, what we just read, he tells his readers, um, those in that day and us, that he does not want us or them to be carried away by error and to lose our stability. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Luke 22 on that dark and stormy night. When you have fallen away, strengthen your brothers. And here's the picture. Peter now understands the reality of what it means to fall away. But Peter also understands the reality of God's grace in raising him up again. Do we understand that? I think this room is filled with people who would say, I understand what it means to fall in my faith, but bless God, I also understand what it means for God and his grace to lift me up again. We are so thankful for his grace. Therefore, Peter, along with Christ, desires that believers, us, not fall away, but actually draw near to God in, in grace. And let me just say this, and I, I want you to hear this. You're going to hear it again in a little bit. The only way for us not to fall in our faith is for us to grow in His grace. So the only way for us not to fall in our faith is for us to grow in His grace. So this morning we are going to unpack together three truths that I pray will enable us as his church to fulfill the mission that he has given to us all for his glory. So three truths that we're going to unpack together today. And the first truth is this. We must stand against all that is false. We have to stand against all that is false. And for, for just a moment, I want, to, want us to think about some things that might be or that are or could be harmful to us. So just think about it with me. Did you know that falling coconuts kill more people every year than sharks. So sometimes it'd be safer to be in the water than out of the water. So 150 people are killed every year by falling coconuts. Were you also aware that the toothpick is the object most often choked on by Americans? To keep this going, 40,000 Americans are injured every year by toilets. To make matters worse, it is said that your office desktop is 400 times dirtier than your toilet seat. Not my toilet seat, because mine's pretty clean, but yours is pretty bad. I'll keep this going. Every year, 400,000 people, and I'm going to go ahead in this world that we live in and assume they're women, but you never know. But 400,000 people are admitted to the hospital due to falls attributed to them wearing high heels. So, for those of you who might be planning a trip to Russia anytime soon, just know that 100 people are killed every year in Russia due to falling icicles. So just keep that in mind. And then it is said that every year 13 people are killed by vending machines. 
Don't know how that happens. I don't want to make light of that by any means whatsoever. But here's the point. I'm not trying to make you live in a bubble and never leave your house. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm not trying to make you next time you go to a vending machine go, just not sure, don't know if it's worth it or not. That's not my point. I, I do want to point out that there are things in our world that we might not even think about that could be dangerous to our physical health. But let me just say this. There is nothing more harmful to our spiritual health than to believe what is false. There is nothing more harmful to our spiritual health than for us to believe what is false. For we, we live in a world that continually trashes what we have been called to treasure, namely Jesus Christ. We live in a world that trashes what we have been called to treasure. But let me say this. When you and I, when we begin to believe the way the world believes, we place our lives on a very unstable foundation, a foundation that will eventually crumble in upon us. So while, while speaking of the doctrine of Scripture, just look with me real quick at verse 16 of what Peter does here. So Peter says, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks, so he's talking about Paul, as he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. I love that Peter does that. I love because it's not, I read the letters of Paul and I scratch my head sometimes going, what's he saying? What's Paul trying to say? And I love that Peter, the apostle who walked with Christ says, hey, I have a hard time understanding the apostle Paul at times. And it's good for us because I think it's good that we recognize that there are things in Scripture that are going to be tough for us. But we don't just ignore them. We don't, we don't ignore them. We, we take them on. And this is what Peter is saying. But then he says this. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. So know that there will be people who will try to twist the word, who will try, try to promote that which is false. Take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Brothers and sisters, we have a basis and a foundation for our life, and it is called the Word of God. Therefore, we must know it, memorize it, believe it, treasure it. In fact, we must not allow ourselves to be deceived concerning it. I think of what Peter said in uh, one chapter before this, in 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 1, Peter says, There will be false teachers among you. There will be false teachers among you. There will be those who will come into the church and teach things um, that are false. Teach things that are false about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about salvation, about the church in and of itself. Will teach those things that were false. And they'll, they'll come in and then there will be others who will come in and refuse to speak about things that Scripture magnifies. Those are just as bad. Pastors who will stand behind the pulpit and refuse to speak about sin, that's just as bad. To, to sit here and tell people your greatest problem is not sin, your greatest problem is relationships. No, your greatest problem is that you are a sinner in need of salvation that God provides to us through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the message that we must proclaim. And some of you, maybe you're in here right now and you're thinking, well, Micah, if you say that there are false teachers in the church, then how are we supposed to know that you're not one of them? 
And that's a good question. Because let me answer it this way. If you don't know the word of God, then you have no idea whether I am or not. You know, if you don't know God's word, then you have no idea. But you're just trusting at face value what I say. And let me just say this. It flatters me, but it's not good. It's not good. I, I am zealous, passionate that you would be passionate for the word of God like the Bereans were in Acts 17. In Acts 17, it says that Paul and Silas went to Berea and they were preaching the word. Paul and Silas. Paul was preaching the word. And listen to what it says about the believers in Berea. It says, They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You know what these believers did? They said, Paul, you're pretty awesome and you can speak pretty good, but we still want to make sure that what you're saying is true. Therefore, they lined up the words of Paul with the word of God. Oh, I pray that you would do the same. Line up what I say with the word of God because there might be times where my opinion will get the best of me. And I try to leave my opinion back here and make sure we bring the word of God here. But there, there are times, and I, I don't want to act like um, there aren't those times, but I, I desire for us to be a people who will give ourselves wholly to the word of God and will grow in it. In fact, one pastor put it this way, which will lead us to our second truth says the antidote to deception and destruction is growth in the grace and knowledge of Christ. The contrast between verse 17 and verse 18 is between on one hand a tree which does not grow and loses its stability in the earth and is blown over by a wind of false teaching and dies. And on the other hand, a tree which keeps its roots planted in God's grace and so grows and stays healthy and stable and does not get blown over by false teaching. Stand against all that is false by saturating your life with all that is true. And what does the Bible say in John 17? Your word is truth. Word is truth. Saturate our lives with that which is true. So we must stand against all that is false. The second truth is this. We must seek to know the one who is faithful. We must seek to know the one who is faithful. Look at verse 18, the beginning. Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now think about conversion for the first century church. Conversion for them was not a destination. It was the beginning of a journey. So in the, in the first century church, initial belief, when they first came to Christ, it was not the final act. For them, it was the beginning scene of a supernatural journey by which centered on them knowing Christ. So this picture in the early church of them walking an aisle, being baptized, and never ever again thinking about Christ was not an option for them. They understood what it meant. Think about this. First century Christians understood that when they came to Christ, chances are they would lose something. And yet they came to him anyway. It's a beautiful, amazing picture to think about. And we think about this. Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And knowledge of Christ and knowledge about Christ, if they continue to go together, are amazing safeguards for us against all that is false. But let me just say this, Christ is not just a subject to be studied, he is a person to be known. 
He's not just a subject to be studied. He is a person to be known. Therefore, the Christian faith is not just a, a set of doctrines that we accept. It's a power that we are able to experience by the grace of God. It's a tragic thing to ask a person, what do you know about the Lord? And for them to, to recite a bunch of truths, but never talk about a personal relationship with the God of heaven. It's a sad reality to think about that or to put it in a different way. Some people come to Christ in particulars. What I mean is this. Some people will come to Christ when they have particular difficulties in their lives, particular problems, particular um, diagnoses that are given, particular decisions that need to be made, and they'll come to Christ, and many, yet not all, but many will seem to walk away when those particulars come back in place. So they come to Christ in particulars, and when those particulars settle out, many of them, but not all, but many of them will walk right away. But then there are others who come to Christ, not in particulars, but based upon the person of Christ. They see him. They treasure him. They understand the beauty of him, and they are drawn in because of him. And please understand this. We must know who Christ claimed to be. Starting next week, we're going to begin an eight-week journey. We're going to walk through um, the I am statements of Christ. We're going to walk through all the I am statements, and we're going to go deep into them, and they're going to um, be a great root and a foundation for who Christ is. We must know who he claimed to be. We must also know the kind of life he lived. In Hebrews 4, we are told that Christ was tempted in every way, yet without sin. We must know that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, and we must know that he conquered the grave because it could not hold him. We must know that, but beyond these truths, we must know him. Let me put it this way. Knowing about Christ has value, but knowing Christ is invaluable. Knowing things about Christ has value, but knowing him is absolutely invaluable. And it's fitting that Peter would end this letter by saying, grow in the grace of knowledge, because it's the same way he began this letter. In fact, in verse three, 2 and 3, Peter writes these words. He says, My, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, or Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So Peter begins this letter by saying, Grow, grow in the grace and knowledge. May it be multiplied in you. And I, I love this because Peter's great desire for us is that we would grow in, in grace, that we would experience, get this, this is Micah's um, phrasing of this, that we would experience lots and lots and lots of grace. <laughs> That's what, what Peter wants, that we would experience a bunch of grace is what Peter's desire for us would be. And, and when we think about it, it just makes sense because we've been saved by grace, according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're sustained by grace, according to 2 Corinthians 12, where Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's by grace. But there are certain things that we must do. And let me just say this spiritual growth is, is only going to be possible when you and I declare war on the sin that is in our hearts. For far too long, Brothers and sisters, you and I have entered into peace agreements with the sin that is in our hearts. And we are at peace with that sin. We're at peace. And we're, we say, well, it's just the way I, I am. 
and we, we lessen the grace of God in that. Let me just say this. You cannot grow in grace if you are treasuring sin in your heart. You can't. You can't grow in grace if you're growing sin. You can't grow. So what we do is we don't just enter into a peace agreement with sin. We enter into a war with it. We declare war against the sin in our hearts by the grace that has been given to us. So grow in knowledge. Fill your minds and fill your hearts with Jesus over and over again. Fill it up and then grow in grace, which is the outworking of your knowledge. It's the outworking of what is coming in and it goes out. So please just real quick, draw, draw real close this morning. I don't mean to get up and come near, but just in your minds, just draw real close for just a second. There are no profound secrets here. The same truths that lead us to grow and to mature in Christ are the same truths that were taught by Jesus in his day. Same thing we see in the first century church. How do you grow in grace? Let me give you a few ways that you and I can grow in grace. Identify with his church through baptism and membership. Be a part of a body like this. Immerse yourself in his word. Hang out with his people a lot. And in the midst of hanging out with his people, talk about him a lot. Rehash the gospel by taking communion together and remembering and reminding ourselves what Christ has done for us. Talk to him a lot through prayer. Talk to him a lot. Let, let your prayers be planned, but let them be spontaneous. Which you just come before him in, in that way. And then spend your days telling as many people as possible what Christ has done in your life. I had the most awkward but the most awesome encounter the other day in the grocery store. Waiting in line, and a man who was um, of Russian descent starts talking to me and just starts talking. And he's talking about how um, I was holding a, a basket, and he says, put it up here because um, eventually your strength will fail you. So you need to keep it as long as possible. And I'm like, well, thank you for that. And then he gets right up in my face, and he says, but you know how you will keep your strength for longer? And I said, no. And I was kind of, he said, make Jesus your Lord. And I was like, amen. And so we start having a conversation, and then he basically starts jumping on the cashier saying, do you know Jesus? And she said, yeah. And he said, I don't mean do you know things about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And granted, I get it. We've got to be careful how we come across people because most people, they, they want to know that you care about them and make sure that reality we have to, to win the right to be heard. But there was just something within him. Jesus was all over him. I mean, it's kind of like the saying goes, I felt like if, if a mosquito would bite him, it would... Um, fly away singing, there's power in the blood. I mean, I just think that is the reality of, of this, this guy. And it was just an amazing encounter in that moment. But let's fill our days telling people what Jesus has done for us. That's how we grow in Christ. That's what's made available to us, which begs the question, are you in this moment growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? The only way that we will not fall in our faith is if we grow in his grace. Are we doing that? Are you at this moment, are you advancing in your faith? Are you in this moment retreating? What is true of you? Are you advancing and growing? Or are you retreating? Is your knowledge of God producing growth in you? Oh, that we would seek to know the one who is faithful. And which leads us to the last truth. May we strive for that which will last forever.
May we strive for that which will last forever. And this is where we have to admit that many believers spend their days, spend their lives striving for that which won't even last 10 years, let alone eternity. And what is, think about this, what is the ultimate aim of an eternal God who gives eternal life to his children? So what is the eternal or the ultimate aim of an eternal God who gives eternal life to his children? And let me just tell you what the ultimate aim is. Eternal glory. The aim of God in giving life for us is his glory. That's why Peter can end this letter by saying this. The very end of verse 18. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So the question is, when is God to be glorified? According to Peter, when is Christ to be glorified? Now and for always. Now and forever. Think about this. All the good that God has done for us, in us, through us, ultimately with us, he does for his glory. All of it. So Peter ends this letter by saying, while you're growing in grace, practice giving glory to him because that's what you're going to be doing forever. Just follow with me. Your first day in eternity. So the day that you close your eyes in death, you will open your eyes as a believer. You will open your eyes to him and your life will be consumed with glory. His glory. So think of your first day of eternity, you close your eyes in death, you open your eyes to him, and you are completely consumed and immersed in his glory. We will be glorifying him forever and ever and ever, which makes sense that we should begin to do it now. That's what Peter's saying. You need to start doing it now. These are things that help us build spiritual walls that will keep us from being led um, by false notions of Christ not coming um, that the world seems to, to promote. And I love this, that in, in Peter's first epistle, in his first letter, in chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, he writes these words. Each has received a gift. Use it. If it's speaking, then, then speak the oracles of God. Speak the word of God. If it's serving, serve by the strength that God supplies. And then he says that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So Peter tells us then and tells us now, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God because you're going to be living for his glory forever. Which begs this question. Look at, just look at that last phrase in verse 18. And let me ask you this question. Can you right now, with integrity of heart, really pray this prayer? Just think about this. Can you really say, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And can you really pray that with sincerity right now? I thought of something I saw yesterday of, of a gathering that happened. I don't want to get political, but a gathering where the Lord's Prayer was said. And I couldn't help but think, how many people could say to yours, to the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And yet there is no sincerity of heart in saying that and even knowing what they're saying. But then I thought to myself, oftentimes the same can be true of us. We can sing things in church that we don't mean. We can 
use words in prayer that we don't mean. We can amen lines of scripture that we don't mean. I love the fact that Peter amens himself because this is good and this is true, but are we living in this way? So let me just, let me end and think about how does this, what we talked about this morning, go together with our mission statement. Where we, by God's grace, are desiring to be, from this point forward, a church that exists to glorify God by making disciples who will serve the world. How does this relate to growing in grace? And I pray that you, you see it, and I pray that it becomes kind of evident, but here's what I'm desiring, and here's what I, I pray that you'll desire with me that we would be a people that would grow in height, meaning that our worship of God would grow higher and higher and higher, that we would make much of the one who is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise, and we would not stop doing it because we are preparing for what we will be doing forever and ever and ever. We want our disgrace to grow high, but then also we want disgrace to grow deep. Meaning we want to be discipled. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge. We want our roots of, to, to go down and soak up all that God has for us. And we also, at the same time, remember what we talked about last week? In the sequoia trees, as our roots were going down, we also want our roots to come together. And to grow together in a way that we are making disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. So we want our grace to grow high. We want our grace to grow deep. And we want our grace to grow wide. Meaning by God's grace, we want our lights to shine right where we are. And as far as he will let um, our light shine, all for his glory. All for his glory. That is what we, we want. And the question I want to leave us with this morning is this. Do we want to see that happen? Do we want that? Will we give ourselves to that? Remembering that we, as we said last week, remembering we as children of God in this room, we are not the mission. We are not the mission. We are a part of the mission. So if you are here and a child of God, you are not the mission. If you become the mission, then chances are it's because you are now the mission field instead of the missionary. So don't want to be there. So we are, you're not the mission. You have been saved. Therefore, you are now a part of the mission of making God's glory known throughout the world. Will you, for the glory of God, not the glory of you, not the glory of the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way, will you give yourself to this mission? Oh, to God that you will. Oh, to God that we will grow high in grace as, as he becomes greater. Oh, that we would grow deep in grace as we are growing in the grace and knowledge and our roots are just growing deep and soaking up his grace and growing together. And oh, that we would grow wide and see an impact with the gospel like never before. Which begs the question, are you growing in grace now? And I don't want just, just to be a, a message that beats us up. I want us to leave encouraged this morning. And I would say this, if, if anyone knows anything about grace, it would be a lot of Bible writers and authors, but there would be one in particular, not a Bible writer, a historical person that we just actually we heard a song of his a little earlier, and it would be John Newton, who wrote the amazing words to amazing grace. But listen to what he says. He says, I'm not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was.
And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I pray today that that would just encourage our hearts, that we are, as a church, we are not, we are not what, we, what we long to be. We aren't what we know he's calling us to be just yet, but praise God, we are not what we used to be. We are not what we used to be. We are the work of his grace. And we want to extend that and grow in that as long as God will allow us to offer his glory. So if you can stand with me today. We are going to ask for the Frank and the musicians to come forward. We enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever God is calling you to do, that you would do it for his glory. And let's just join together now. Father, we come before you and we, God, thank you and we praise you for your grace upon us. We thank you that we are able to know not just things about Christ, but we're able to know him and know you. In fact, Jesus says this is eternal life, that we know you. It's not just heaven one day, it's knowing you now. Preparing for uninterrupted glorying in you. Father, just help us as your people to grow. Help us to grow in grace. Help us to grow in knowledge. Help us, Lord, to allow our growth of grace to go high as we are lifting you high, to go deep as we are digging our, our roots, God, deep down and soaking in your grace so that we may grow taller and taller for you. And then, God, may we grow in grace wide, Father, impacting the world around us. Lord, help us as your church to give ourselves, God, to your mission. Lord, realizing that we have been saved by your grace and because of that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, help us to walk in them. Help us to grow in them. All for your glory, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.